Turkaholics and welcome back for another Super League season. This is season 2, episode 1. We decided to uh, break it up a little bit, make it a little easier for you guys. Of course, we're going to start covering the 2019-2020 Super League season officially in this episode as the first match day has been played. Joining me this week are Umut Nadere, Uzer Dinger is coming back and Pat Cox. Guys, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you very much. And of course, Burak isn't here. He had work commitments. And uh, I am, of course, Khan Bayazit. I am terrible at that, at introducing myself. I always assume people know who I am because I'm such a big shot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, such let's... a modest man you we... are. Indeed. But we have so much to talk about and we don't have that much time because, of course, um, Uzar, you're at a new job in Chicago and you only have a roughly an hour window. So we'll try and shoot through this. So quickly. Yeah, no, I, to... I, I do appreciate that. Guys. It's <laughs> just that the, the time difference is not ideal for watching uh, yeah. or even discussing football. So but I'll, I'll give it my best shot. We'll see how it works. Yeah, the, those Champions League games, it's going to be it's going to be annoying for you a bit. I know, I know. I'm going to have to pull a sickie on those days. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, let's quickly dive into the Europa League results. Um, Trabzonspor went through as they beat Sparta Prague 2-1 at the Akiazi Stadium, which was filled nearly to capacity with 40,775 uh, spectators. That's a very impressive turnout for Trabzonspor's return to Europe. Of course, they uh, will now go on and play two more legs against Aika Athens. This was a, an interesting match. Trabzonspor took an early lead. Sparta Prague went down to 10 men, but then in the end uh, they still got an equalizer and uh, Trabzonspor won it in the fifth or sixth minute of added time after, uh, I believe it was Noakeeme had initially missed a penalty kick a couple of minutes earlier, but then Filip Novak uh, won the tie. Well, Trabzon were going through anyway on, on uh, away goals because the first leg was uh, finished 2-2. Um, we're not going to spend too much time on this. Uh, quickly head over to the other match. Malatya Sport eliminated 1-0 against Partizan. They did win that match 1-0, but they lost the away match 3-1. And the reason we're not spending too much time on this is, of course, we already went over this a little bit and we already have the preview up for the IK. Uh, ma match as well so you can go listen to that that's the previous episode to this I don't know if either uh, any of you guys have anything to add in regards to this match mm -hmm. nothing really but uh, congratulations to Trabzon they, they pulled, it, pulled it a win over at the end and it's it's a shame that Malatya didn't go through because they were much much better than Partizan in that second leg could have could have easily won it 2 or 3 nil. Yeah, four games in Europe from Alatia Sport, two wins, one draw and a loss. Unfortunately, they are out. Uh, let's move over to those Super League results that match day one of the Turkish Super League 2019-2020 season. So let's start off with Friday. The reigning, defending Turkish Super League champions Galatasaray were away at newly promoted side Denizli Spor on Friday. That was a season opener. Denizli Spor winning this one 2-0. The first shocker of the weekend, but it's certainly not the last. Goals here coming in uh, the 75th minute through Recep Nias and the, I believe the 5th minute of added time through Hugo Rodallega. But that's not really telling the full story here because Selçuk Inan missed a penalty in the 29th minute and Marcao, I was always going to say Radamel Marcao. 
was just Marcao. <laughs> Marcao uh, getting a yellow yeah. card in the 34th uh, minute and a second shot. yellow card in the 43rd minute getting sent off. Uh, that definitely had an impact on the remainder of the match. Very warm circumstances, humid. Then easily the warmest city in Turkey, as Umut pointed out uh, off air. So a very difficult night for Galatasaray all in all. Um, Uzzer, I'm going to throw to you first your take on the match. Yeah, I mean, uh, we firstly, I said that we deserved to lose the game. Didn't really play any sort of meaningful football that, that I could see. Um, Marcao, Luyendama, the, 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 the dyna dynamic duo in defence who were, um, in my opinion, overrated far too much at the end of last season, really showed that they, are, they haven't really switched on for the new season yet. Marcao made two really dumb... Uh, yellow card decisions, two really stupid fouls, deserved to be sent off, and then left Lundama in a position of weakness for the rest of the match. He got pretty much schooled twice in the second half uh, by by Dennis's attackers and could have con contributed to two more goals. Um, so I'm thinking, even if we were to sign Falcao, I don't know how much it would really lift our team to the next level because we still have a lot of. Um, amateurish and kind of foolish and frustrating mistakes in defence, week in week out. Which I see that I see that continuing. Um, I, I can't, I can't, I can't. I find it difficult to get too hopeful about the season, given that we are back-to-back -back champions. We've got by far and away the most expensive squad, which will be boosted further if and when we sign Falcao. I just feel as though all of this stuff on paper might not come to life in reality. I don't know if Umut is as pessimistic as I am, but. I don't have good good vibes about the start of this season. Well, uh, we started the game with 4-3-3 as uh, what we did uh, in the friendlies and in which they relied at the behind uh, of uh, Belhanda and Salchkina which didn't really benefit for uh, to Galatas right during the friendlies because Seri is a small guy uh, like physically and he had some issues covering up for the whole defensive duties in the midfield as Belhanda is given more offensive role uh, compared to the uh, last season and Salchikinan tried to help him out or Celia, uh, help Serie out but he's also done due to his old age and as I mentioned earlier uh, in the earlier episodes I am lost how 40, 40, uh, 34-year-old Salchikinan is completely done while five-year-old Emre Belzol is rocking the midfield for Fenerbahce right now like uh, even earning a spot in national team recently uh, i have big respect for him uh, and seeing how selchikinan's awful state uh, i'm done uh, anyway uh, babel and jimmy uh, started on the flanks and our infamous jagne uh, as a sole striker it is also worth to mention that jagne's second game this season he only played one friendly uh, which is uh, not enough and he's not ready so it's actually could be said that Galatasaray's plan didn't work out because we aren't ready enough for the team, for the game. Also, actually, game started pretty well for us earlier and Salchkinan missed the penalty, who I also remember as a penalty master, but it didn't work out as well. And the former Fenerbahce wonder kid, Recep Nia, hit the post earlier in the game, then he scored a wonder strike from like uh, 30 meters. So, actually, that decided the game. The fast flankman Barrow uh, made a struggle for Galatasaray, and we couldn't uh, find the net at the game. 
Yeah, and I, I especially took notice of the fact that the Nizlispor really st struggled in the opening 10 to 15 minutes. They uh, really seemed to take a while to um, get composed, to adjust to the level of the Super League. I had the impression that they were nervous. Uh, but once they got through that first 15 minute or so period, uh, I think the match became rather balanced. Uh, Babel was threatening early on. He was, I think, for, for, for Galatasaray, the best man in attack at least. Um, but of course, you know, as, as the match went on and they went down to 10 men in the heat, in the humidity, less and less attacking play uh, from Galatasaray, which is to be imagined. But on the other end, Denizli Sport didn't really create much in, in terms of clear-cut chances until that, that Recep Nias wonder strike. There were a couple of opportunities and, and Recep Nias was involved in almost every, any of them. And I was just about to say on Twitter when I was watching the game that Recep Nias is... is Always involved in every single attack, but he he has absolutely no end product. And then, of course, he had that amazing wonder strike. So <laughs> me just thinking it uh, already jinxed you guys. Um, Pat, do you have any special uh, notes that you have on this match? Anything you want to point out? Uh, yeah, I think it was a fairly balanced game. I guess it would have been very different if um, Celtic had scored a early penalty. Guys, is that more like a sort of Galatasaray tradition or I mean I was quite surprised that he stepped up rather than Diagne but well he's he's sort of the as I'm not said that the penalty um master I mean he had one job and that he was still good at despite his his aging um uh stature and he always scored penalties as far as I could remember and so when he stepped up I thought well you know at least he's going to have one function on the pitch at least he's going to give put us one nil up but the way he stepped up he was so lethargic and slow he, there was no direction or accuracy on the ball. And like he just looked totally washed up. And I, I was really surprised. I thought, at least he's going to step up and score a penalty, but no, nothing. At least, potentially, now that we've signed Nzonzi, we could say potentially that uh, Celtic is going to be certainly off the uh, starting lineup for the rest of the season, at least in yeah. the Super League. Yeah. Because it, it looked like a very evenly matched game, to be honest. I think, um, obviously, that wonder strike for Denizli. Uh, followed by the late goal, you know, I guess 2 0 is maybe a little bit of a, even 2 0 even is um, quite an, an overstretch in terms of how the game played out. But um, no, I think, um, you know, Nzozi will, will definitely change the dynamic of the Galatasaray team. And yeah, I mean, it is definitely a fact that this match had two massive turning points. The first one being Selchuk missing that penalty, and the second one, the red card. Uh, did you guys feel it was a harsh red card or do you think it was justified uh, Galt's right gentleman? Two naive uh, yellow cards like we've seen them do before so the red card was, was pretty fair in my opinion They were on point because what Marco did just silly like getting in too fast like clumsy so he deserved that yeah, The first one I thought was a smart one I would say because I think if he doesn't pull Rodallega down there he is true on goal and uh, people listening who might have not seen it will think, well, isn't that a red card? And no, because, of course, Luyen Dama was still a couple in the vicinity, so it wouldn't have been a last man per se. But I think he did the smart thing there to pull him down, to not give away uh, a decent goal-scoring opportunity. But the second one, if you're on a yellow card and he just comes in a little bit uncontrolled, barges in, Little, yeah, he should know better. Of course, I think Marcao is what 23, 24, so he's still young, he's still learning. But um, yeah, that was uh, not the smartest yellow to take. And uh, yeah, Selchuk, I think Umut, you mentioned in the group 
in our group chat that that's probably the fourth penalty in his entire career. Yeah, uh, it was like one against Fenerbahce in a Super Cup game, one against uh, against Everly, I believe. Uh, what he played really well, but he missed the penalty, and and two more actually, like this game, yeah, and the other one I can remember right now. Well, anyway, Denizli Spor with that win, of course, starting off their return to the Super League in nine years off on a flying start. Uh, they get, get off on a flying start, pardon. And that's a great start for them to get back into it. And, uh, well, let's hope for them that uh, it's going to be uh, a fun season. I think those first 10-15 minute jitters will now have been overcome and they can go into conf with confidence into next week's uh, match day. Just before we move on to the Saturday results, the attendance for the Denizli Galatasaray match was 13,713, by the way. Let's move over to Saturday. Gensterberli hosted Chaiko Rizespor there. Here the attendance was 2,643. So that's a, a little bit of a drop-off to Friday's match, but we're kind of used to Gensterberli having low turnouts. This match ended 1-0 in favor of Chaiko Rizespor. And again, a red card played a key role here. Flavio Ramos got sent off in the 39th minute after seeing his second yellow card. He had been booked just three minutes earlier. Dario Melniak getting the only goal of the match in the 66th minute. And Bogdan Stanku had a very late equalizer disallowed. I believe that was already an added time. Um, so the full-time scoreline reads 1-0 to Chaiko Rizespor against Sterberli. The, super, the, the champions of the Biringi League last season coming back up after just one season of absence in the Super League. Uh, but they start off with a loss in Angra. Um, Pat, any special... Uh, notes you have on this game to to start off with it uh, at first I just assumed that they um, had had some ban maybe sort of carrying on from the previous season because I was it's quite surprised you know the first game after being champions for the league one to then only turn up with two thousand is uh, isn't great first get they don't have a lot first of get yeah. I guess but there you go no I thought it was quite an equal game um, obviously Stanch missed a, a two uh, which obviously could have Swung it in favour of uh, Genshin, I believe, but, uh, you know, Riz obviously kept going and got the goal and ultimately the win at the end of the day. Riz Espor post Okan Buruk. Did they disappoint or did they leave a good impression on you, Umut? Well, they also lost uh, their key player, Atif Sheshu, to uh, which team he, got, uh, he went to? Antalya. Uh, yeah, Antalya. Antalya. So that changed uh, their plans a bit in the attacking wise. Now Baldrin is the key has the key role in the attacking part, uh, and also their uh, back players Melniak and the other one Baldrin. has yeah yeah they are uh, good on attack. They have good talents on uh, attacking side, so they have all the uh, support they can have to the team. Also, uh, the goal came from the uh, as back player from the box. Uh, also, yeah. good part for them. Great goal yeah, too. Yeah, I, I thought the yeah, um, yeah Benyak's goal was potentially goal goal of the week. One of the goals of the week at the candidates at least. Yeah. Really great strike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Him and uh, his former teammates, I think, uh, are going to uh, hash it out between the two of them. Yeah, yeah. What well, what do you, do you guys think of Genshterly? Did they look capable to you? Of obviously that red card played a big big uh, big role in their demise here, so to speak, but. It not, it's not like they look out of uh, out of character in the Super League or anything. They didn't look. They didn't stand out as a, as a weak duckling or anything like that. I, I agree. I think they played pretty competitively. It was quite an even match despite the red card. 
Um, Stanku came close twice to scoring. I think you guys have already mentioned had one goal ruled offside. So I think they they can be they can learn a lot from this. But I wouldn't be too disappointed if I were one of the two thousand gets their fans this weekend. <laughs> No, for sure. Um, I don't think we have much more to add here, so let's move on to the next match. It's Kayseri Sport versus Alanya Sport. The attendance here was 9,966. That's a decent turnout, I'd say, uh, for a relatively low-profile match. Of course, Kayseri Sport have a pretty big stadium, so the question is, should should these teams, these clubs, really be playing in such big stadiums when they can only fill it for like a third of capacity but that's another discussion to be had this match here Kayseri Spore losing at home against Alanya Spore uh, let's start off with one of the, the, the highlights is uh, in the third minute unfortunately Alpai Celebi suffered an ACL injury and yeah he'll be out for another six or seven months and he only yeah, he, he had one I believe at the start of last season so that's not good for a young player suffering back-to-back -back ACL injuries uh, that might be, uh, yeah, the f not necessarily the end of his career, but maybe the he won't be achieving his potential, so to speak. Um, but let's move on, because this was a, a pretty interesting game, because uh, Pedro Henrique got on the score sheet in the 75th minute, at least he thought he did, but that one was ruled offside. He was already celebrating that one, that got... Uh, that one got disallowed pretty quickly, but then he gets one later too. In the 86th minute, Papi Sisse puts uh, Alanya Spor ahead from a corner, Sali Uchan corner, which I believe uh, Jalma then headed through and uh, Sisse poked in. He gets back on the score sheet. He, of course, got a, a bunch of goals last season already for Alanya Spor, so he just keeps going uh, as he was. As he as he was last season. Uh, and then in the added time, Pedro Henrique again sees a goal uh, disallowed for offside. This time it was a VAR decision. Um, that's a very unfortunate debut for uh, Pedro Henrique because, uh, yeah, two goals and, and both decent goals and both got disallowed. So that's unfortunate for him. Kayseri Spor uh, losing their first match at home. Uh, Uzra, going to throw to you first your take on uh, this match. Anything that stands out to you? Well, normally I make quite detailed notes for these games so that I have stuff to reflect on during, during our chat. But in this match, I've just written VAR, VAR, VAR. And I think um, that kind of sums up my thoughts yeah. on the game. The whole game was defined by the VAR decisions. Um, otherwise, there wasn't too much more to add. And, uh, and the thoughts go out to the injured player as well, like you touched on at the beginning. And uh, what do you think, Pat? Uh, anything uh, except for VAR on your notes? Or is that, does Uzer's description fit the match, so to speak? No, I agree. Yeah, I think um, even with VAR, it's a couple of sort of suspect calls potentially, which I know VAR's meant to stop. But uh, yeah, you know, Pedro Enrique sort of stood out for me, and it's. I think we're going to see more and more as time goes on. But those sort of late, what you think are winners, only to be uh, sort of crestfallen when VAR comes up and says that, oh, sorry, you were five centimeters offside. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, that delay goalie. is quite key because when you watch those two goals, when you watch the players celebrating like they've just won the World Cup and the, the emotion on the team and the squad around them and the management, and that lasts for like two, three, four minutes. Yeah. And then the ref comes out and says, no goal. That's horrible to see. And that really deflates the team. Yeah. Sure. It, it takes something out of the, it's, it. It has more of an impact on the rest of the game than just correcting an incorrect call. So for that sure, yeah. Be, that needs to be looked into. Yeah, I think Besiktas had that last season against Trabzonspor or something. I don't remember exactly which match it was, but like Dorokhan scored twice or something, and then he got, at, 
had like two goals disallowed and then still got on the score sheet and then he got like an equalizer he was celebrating but then it took like ages and the goal got disallowed and after that you just see that you know the it's their confidence sunk into their boots and like all the all the gas was out of the team you know so it can yeah. have a really deflating I- impact as uh, as are pointed out uh, but obviously here the goal came very late and at a time already uh, the first one was disallowed pretty quickly and i think that was just a good example of uh, the the linesman letting the play go on in case it's not offside so var can intervene should it not be and then he raised this flag after the goal was scored um, so I think that was de- that was okay, but then the second one, of course, the, the later one, the guy has been celebrating for for half an hour already, and then the decision comes. That's that's uh, very unfortunate for him. And the, one of the things that also jumped out as well a lot, and not just in this game but in all the games, is that we see referees pulling a lot of yellow cards uh, because of a new uh, guideline. Basically, what they what I, I just picked this up uh, during one of the matches, I think, or or during one of the Marathon Post uh, commentaries, I believe it was, where if players swarm the referee for protest, the referee has to give at least one yellow card. Apparently, that's a new guideline. So that's why mm-hmm. we're seeing so many yellow cards now for protest. Um, that was also the case in this match, I believe, for Pedro Henrique. He got booked on his first goal, I believe. Let's move over to the evening match then on Saturday. Sivaspor trashing my poor Besiktas. 3-0. And the attendance here was 13,428. That's a decent turnout as well. Uh, Mert Hakan Yandaj getting on the score sheet here in the 30th minute to put Sivaspor 1-0 up. Then we had an injury uh, to Sivaspor goalkeeper Mamadou Salmasa after a collision with uh, Tyler Boyd. Uh, I think he had a concussion, had to be... Uh, had to be taken off the pitch and taken to the hospital. He walked off, but then towards uh, the the sideline, he collapsed. So for a moment there, I think some of us were, were thinking the worst, that he might have had an, an epileptic attack or something, and he swallowed his tongue. I even saw someone mention, but fortunately that wasn't the case. I think he just had a concussion, uh, which is no laughing matter, of course. Uh, and he ha- he was subbed off, taken to the to the hospital uh, after the match. Uh, everything seemed to be okay with him. Tyler Boyd, however, continued with a bandage in the second half. He even got booked for this. Uh, the referee had judged that he uh, had for had judged this as dangerous play because he went up with his boot to control the ball, got the ball, uh, but then Samasa basically collided with him like a fraction of a second later and the big problem here wasn't the high boot or anything but it was just the players went head to head really hard um their their heads just smacking together and uh, Tyler Boyd finished this match but I'm given the f- I mean he was really good and uh, he was decent very good active in the first half making lots of good runs and all that kind of stuff but in the second half he was a ghost so I, I honestly think he had a concussion too and he should have been taken off Anyway, moving on to the second goal that came in the 54th minute through Mustafa Yatabare, a very nice goal from the former Konya and Trabzonspor striker. And then Emre Kilinch putting the cherry on top in the 76th minute with a lovely long-range strike. I think goalkeeper Utko Juvakaran should have had that, though. But the full-time scoreline 3-0. Besiktas losing on the opening match day for the first time since, I don't know, 2011 or something. Um, but 3-0, that's a serious trashing. It's the first time Besiktas haven't scored on the opening match day in, uh, I don't know how long, uh, I believe 1990, 
2004 or something, a really long time ago. So very poor start for Abdullah Avci at Besiktas. Umut, what do you think? Oh, you didn't really watch the full game, did you? Uzar, did you get manage to catch the full match by any chance? Yeah, I, I saw extended highlights, and I'm, I'm kind of surprised that you didn't mention the two potential penalty calls for Adam Lanch. Right, yeah, they were my notes. I, I think the Besiktas were robbed of two very clear penalties. So no attempt to play the ball. Um, Leitch was brought down clearly in the penalty box, but the ref... Uh, the reason the reason I did not put that in my notes uh, is because at that point I had already zoned out because I think it was already two <laughs> or three nil. As soon as I, uh, you know, well, I, I think Bishikdash came out of the dressing room really hungry. They I think they played really well for seven eight minutes and they were looked very likely to mm -hmm. score. And then Yatabara basically scores out of nowhere because Medel gives the ball away. Uh, and and that's the thing with these all three of these goals like. The, yeah. score, the score line would say that Sivas had a great game and Besiktas were absolutely horrible, but all three of those goals are individual mistakes, I think. On the first goal, you can clearly see Gokhan Gunnel goes and, and covers Emre Kilinch in the corner. And yeah. Kwarizma, like a headless chicken, also goes and runs to Emre for some reason instead of marking his man, which is Ziad, the, the left back. And he just leaves him with tons of space, gives him half a century to cross, and... Yeah, of course, and you're asking for it. Uh, I think up until that moment, it was a very even match. There was a really good chance for Yatabari on a corner, I think, and then there were a couple of opportunities, well, half chances. It was a pretty rigid closed game, but Besiktas were okay up until that point, but I think as soon as they went to goal down, the, the problems that they have and have had for the entire training camp, obviously, Burak Yilmaz not being present, Guven Yalcin can't fill his shoes... Ricardo Quaresma being completely over the hill right now. He can't seem to get past this man anymore. He's an absolute problem there. And I don't think that that means that as a Besiktas fan, for saying that you don't you don't love, respect or cherish Quaresma as, 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 an, as, a, as a legend or whatever you want to call him. But he's almost 36 years old. And I don't know, I have never seen such a decline in six months, but he has gone from a player that could still be serviceable in the first half of last season to a player that's completely useless now when he's on the pitch. I mean, yeah, he can maybe give one or two good passes, but you expect more from your left winger. You expect him to weigh on a defense. You expect him to get past this man, to get to the touchline, to put in crosses, to make actions. But he doesn't anymore. He just can't. He just gets completely locked down. And that's one of... Bistas are playing, basically playing with 10 men when Quaresma is on the pitch. Add to that Guven, who does very little to weigh on the defense. You're down to nine. So Besiktas have huge issues. Obviously, they have injuries, but that's not it. That's not all of it. They, yeah, they just they look like an incomplete puzzle to me. I don't know if you would agree with that, guys. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. I mean, I think, like you said, today and for the next few weeks, you're, you're lost from the front and the kind of the rear of your of your spine, if you like, because you've got Burak mm. who's out for a few weeks. You've got Carius um, who's out for a few weeks. Which is a huge loss. He but might actually be back uh, quicker than expected because he's already oh, back really? in training oh, well. apparently. Yeah. Okay, that will be good, you, huge for you guys because if you, but even if you kind of zoom out of that and give it a more macro look, you look back at the Besiktas summer training camp. I think mm -hmm. you guys lost all but one game, which you drew and didn't score a goal in any. Yeah. So there's some serious question marks with with uh, with the completeness of the squad there. So I yeah. I think Abdullah just got his work cut out if he wants to yeah. get off to a flying start at Besiktas because it's looking tricky for now. Yeah, one of the m the most puzzling decisions for me was starting Gokhan Gunnel and starting Jana Erkin. 
I understand Pedro Rebocho was only at the club for a week, but Jano had such a terrible training camp. He was he was really bad in those in those friendlies. I just think you throw in that new guy straight away. Uh, just let him settle, let him get a feel, let him play with his teammates. It's a difficult away game. I understand that, but just let him play. I think if he's a you know let him either he'll drown or he'll. How do you, yeah, or he'll sink or he'll uh, stay above sink. water, but... Yeah. yeah, sink or swim, as they say. Yeah, exactly, sink or swim, and I'm pretty sure. And the same thing for Douglas. I mean, Gukhan had surgery during the middle of the training camp, didn't play a single friendly match. You could see that in this match. He was not match fit at all. I know Douglas had a small injury through during the season, uh, during the training camp, and that makes things only more difficult for the coach, but... I would have started both Rebocho and Douglas, and I think you would have had a far more sturdy defense. And I didn't even think that the defense played a bad match because actually Victor Ruiz, the new guy who made his debut, who hadn't played a friendly match either, I think he had an amazing game. Uh, he was flawless, and he had four or five amazing interceptions to prevent Sivaspor from getting a good goal-scoring opportunity. He was really good, but the yeah the individual performances let them down. On the first goal, Quaresma completely went in the mist on the second goal. Medel just gives the ball away clumsily, which leads to a, a very good goal from Yatabare. Of course, what Yatabare does with that ball still, I mean, you lose the ball in midfield, but what Yatabare does, that's something he probably will do once a season, maybe, if he, if he's lucky to score a goal like that. And then the third one is just a long-range shot. And Utku, it's in the center of his goal. I think a good goalkeeper should always have that ball. I mean... The, the commentator's like, oh, Nefis Birgol or whatever, you know, praising the goal. And of course, it's a great goal from Emre. But I think when the, the ball is that, that far to the center of the goal, it's not going to either corner. There's no excuse for the goalkeeper to not have that. I think it's always going to be counted on his conto. Anyway, uh, guys, I've been ranting. Uh, obviously, Trina loss. You have to indulge me for a minute. But uh, Pat, your thoughts on this match? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you in terms of it being quite an even game and 3-0 you know, not really showing the actual kind of 90 minutes, to be honest. Uh, two, the second and third goal were, well, I've got Banger for number two, very English word there, Stana for number three, which might be a sort of anti-BGK uh, exaggeration there, but I thought they were, they were very good. And having suffered many of those kind of one-hit wonders uh, as a Fenerbahce fan, you know, I know there's nothing you can do about it. And, you know, even if it's a sort of a bad team or, you know, a lucky break, for example, I guess you, you have to close them down. I guess the goalkeeper has to be, uh, you know, in the right place at the right time. But ultimately, there are some that there's just nothing you can do about. And, uh, you know, but I think, as as I said as well, um, you know, t- two penalty calls that, to be honest, both should have gone Besiktas's way. I'm surprised that both of them were sort of uh, ignored um, because at least one of them I was, would have thought would have been given. But it's the football, that's the football, as they say. Yeah, but in the VAR <laughs> era, it becomes even more puzzling, though, that those things get ignored. I mean, I can completely understand true. the referee missing that, but VAR is looking at it then. 
and yeah, I, I, I seem to have the feeling that in some games they seem to be going through it with a, like, how do you put it, like a fine tooth comb or something, going through all the positions, checking, oh, isn't there a penalty, like looking for yeah. it almost. And then you have, in other matches, you have these relatively clear penalties. We're going to get to one later on, I think, for Ankara, uh, was it Ankara where there's a relatively clear, clear handball and it just gets ignored. Um, I don't really understand that yet. That's the, that's the big issue I have with VAR. I think VAR is great, but the consistency in how it gets used is a problem that really has to improve. But that's do something. Think, do you think that the Dennis Lee game, uh, you know, the Burrow get got away? Oh uh, yeah, and it it got called in a handball. And yeah, that was wrong. Didn't given an opportunity to score. Yeah, yeah, it was wrong. They should have let him go through if it was a handball. Should have disallowed it with VAR. Exactly. I think yeah. That, that was and a, really... a similar position uh, happened in the Fenerbahce game as well. Yeah, that was. I I, I don't remember the Fenerbahce position, but uh, that against Denizli, you're definitely right. That was. I I think he rather cleanly got it with the shoulder. I don't even think it was like yeah yeah close yeah, no to handball. his arm. Yeah, so he was true on goal. Um, yeah, that was a really poor call. I, I I didn't point that out, but that was a, a very poor call. I think those are the types of things where exactly. Even if you think it's a handball as a referee, you let it go, and if it is, you disallow it. But you ha- you need to be one hundred percent sure on those types of positions to say stop. I think, and even then, I would just let it go. If it's wrong, VAR will disallow it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just just destroy the chance of being yeah. a goal scored. Yeah. And so anyway. I think it's like um, you know. In the same manner that coaches and footballers are going to have to get used to sort of different rules and you know VAR sort of coming in and changing things, as are the the sort of well the, the four officials, especially the the main one on the pitch, mm-hmm. because it's more of like a I guess it's a technical change in terms of you know whereas maybe if you yeah. see pre pre VAR they would have had to have made that call and maybe lent towards calling something if they weren't sure. And to be like, well, I thought I saw it was, you know, closer to his arm than his chest. Yeah, and but instinctively yeah, then, they're going to be inclined to make that call. And yeah. sometimes it's just something that goes like snap and, you know, they can't really... Once they blow that whistle, you can't turn it back anymore. Exactly, yeah. And that's, I, know, that's, I guess it's it's the years and years of um, them learning certain laws, mm-hmm. learning to be kind of like, you know, have their eye on the game and trying to sort of notice everything that's going on. Yeah. And this applies to the referees as much as it does to the, the linesman and the, the fourth official as well. Yeah, definitely. But then moving to something where they're just going to, you know, their inner voice is going to have to get trumped by their sort of new inner voice that says, just let it go, let it go, see what happens. Yeah. Which is something like, that might... That might take a couple of seasons for it really to sink through. I mean, you have yeah. to keep in mind as well that a young referee who's up and coming, he's going to start in the lower leagues and then he starts in the Super League. Maybe he's sure. working with VAR for the first time. So basically for every single referee, especially new ones, that process restarts basically. Of course, they will have gotten coached in VAR, but... I don't know it's it's you know these types of things shouldn't happen, but they they happen and they're human mistakes. Still, VAR is not going to be able to completely remove human error. Uh, that's clear. Anyway, one more thing I wanted to point out here is something I found actually a little sad is uh, during the the whole collision, Tyler Boyd got booked, which I thought was a little tasteless by the ref. Uh, but that's that's that. Then he also books Leitch because he thinks Leitch is complaining, but instant, but Leitch was just basically trying to explain him what happened. Like he was like even using like hand signals and stuff, and he books him. And I, I get this rule of look, 
when they're swarming the ref, you have to book one. I think that's a really good initiative because in Turkey, there's way too much of that, way too much complaining about every single position and sometimes the right to complain, but it doesn't really matter because it doesn't have an effect because the decision is made. It's not going to get overturned anyway because you're complaining. Obviously, what they're trying to do is influence a referee for maybe getting a favorable call down the road, but I think it's a really good initiative to give yellow cards there. But Leic wasn't even complaining and that, that makes it a little... I mean, that yellow card... That could potentially mean a couple of weeks down the road he's going to miss a, miss a crucial game. So it's it's a little unfortunate. And, and I think we're going to see a lot of those types of yellow cards, especially with the foreigners, because obviously the referees, uh, many of them I don't think speak proper English or anything like that. So we're going to get a lot of those where they think, oh, they're giving us lip, we're going to book them. And, and actually they're just speaking to them in a normal manner in English or something. But those guys, yeah. Uh, Mert Hakan Yandesh and uh, Emre Klinch are performing really well and even Erdogan Yeşilyurt uh, mm-hmm. they're all 25 year old players starting for Sivaspor at the game and I think this started after Syriac and Robinho's departure because probably they had Emre their was name. already playing regularly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, because they are big players and they had their name written down to board first so mm-hmm. great careers great players but they prevented these guys for uh, shining their names for themselves. So I'm happy to see them uh, going through and playing really well and achieving because a team, a young and energetic, and most importantly, eager to win, is important to have. That's an interesting point because it reminds me of something I read on Twitter the other day. I don't remember, so please do forgive me if you're listening and, and, and you made this point, but I saw someone make this point of when there was still when we still had the foreign rule, The big three, the big four, they all plucked away all the best Turkish players everywhere. And it left the the other teams with basic trash. Well, not trash, but very average subpar Turks. And they also had that same foreigner rule applied to them, so they had to play with really poor Turkish players. But now that that foreigner rule is basically gone, we see a lot more young guys like this performing well and maybe not at the age of 21 22 maybe not they're not super talents but these guys are getting more minutes they're evolving they're maturing they're becoming better players 24 20 when they're 24 25 and we're seeing a lot more good turks now in these mid table or whatever all the sides and we're seeing guys go to AS roma just this week with uh, uh mecht uh Mert Yilmaz, I think, or what is, what's his name? Chetin. From Mert Chetin. Yeah, going to AS Roma from Genshterberli. We're, we're going to see more and more of that, I think, of the, the, the good kids. Instead of them getting plucked away by the, the, the big tree straight away, um, they're going to get a chance, an opportunity outside of the country. And it's another reason why this foreign limit is a bad idea, TFF. But let's move over to uh, Sunday now. Um, the first match on Sunday was a little bit of a penalty shout contest, I felt like. Konya Spor, Ankaragücü ended in a 0-0 draw. This was the second highest attendance of the match day with 20,929 fans turning up in Konya. Umerali Scheiner hit the post in the 15th minute and that's uh, I put that down as, a, as one of my notes here because that's really one of the biggest highlights of the match. Apart from that, there were multiple penalty shouts. Uh, the most clear one, I think, was for Ankaragücü. Um, that wasn't the first half, but I, I couldn't find the timestamp on the minute. I think it was a cross from Kitsiu that got handled. It wasn't necessarily a deliberate handball, but there's a new guideline this season for that, that went in effect for the 2019-2020 season. If a player 
uses their arms to make their body unnaturally bigger, whether it's intentional or not, and it hits their arm, hits their hand, whatever, that's, a de that's deemed a penalty or a fall or whatever you want to call it. So I think there's no way around it. That should have been a penalty. And then there's a couple of, uh, of shouts later on in the second half, especially on Baic, um, for Konyaspor, but I had the feeling that from the beginning onwards, the the crowd and and and, and Konyaspor were fishing for a penalty. I don't know if you guys would agree with that. Those are going to throw you first. Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe there were definitely quite a few penalty shots in this game, which defined defined fixture. Um, I just I, I don't know how much inf influence the crowd would have had, although I suppose Konya is one of the better attended. Uh, home matches, so so possibly it's not something that really shouted out to me though. Um, in fact, the, the big takeaway for me is from Uncle Oguj's side. I wonder if Orgil is going to be the same now that his his buddy Tyler Boyd has gone to Besiktash. It's going to be interesting to watch his form. And what do you think, Pat? Uh, did you did you have the same feeling I did, or do you agree more with Ozer? I think it's a split, really. I think um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see across the board, you know, where um, boots are filled, let's say. Um, but you know, just to reiterate your point as well, I think. Yeah, I, I think I remember seeing that same tweet that you did as well. Uh, so we, either someone we obviously following common must have shared that or something. But uh, no, no, I agree, and I, I think um, it will only have a, a negative effect. Yeah. What about you, Umut? Were they fishing for a penalty, or do you have anything else uh, to note on this match? Well, uh, it's a normal behavior when you're in a need of goal and mm -hmm. you're at home. Yeah, but they already uh, started it like really early on, like in the first couple of minutes, everything was, you know, the crowd was going crazy, shouting for a penalty every single time. And so were Konya sports players, I felt like. And, and, and ironically, I felt like Ankaregiju is the team that definitively should have had a penalty. I don't know about Konya. They had a couple of positions towards the end. I think one on Baic where... Definitely, there there could have been a penalty. Maybe he was looking for it a little bit, but the, the Ankaragücü one, according to the letter of the law, was pretty clear. Was it an intentional handball? No. Would I have given it last season? No. But this season, I, I think you have to give it. Yeah. Uh, what I think is a, a player a defender should have uh, should tie his hands to his back uh, to prevent th uh, such kind of an act because this ha uh, this is how the rules work. So. You have to prevent it by yourself. Uh, so why not help yourself out? Just uh, prevent it. Yeah, but I think that's a little... I mean, I, I, I only... I think Thomas Sivok did that a lot. He, he used to tie his hands behind his back a lot when he was trying to uh, cover uh, a winger. But I think it's very counterintuitive and it, it kind of... I, I, I have the feeling that it kind of limits your movement a little bit as a yeah, defender. Yeah, it, it destroys your balance, but yeah. that's how the rules work. So majority of the defenders tie their hands so you have to do that as well because yeah you know this these are the rules yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's tough you have I to think, obey them yeah yeah it's another one of those I things know. like what pat was saying earlier where the referees have to get used to i think this is the same thing that's going to happen for the defenders we're going i think we're going to see a lot of penalties like that this season where there's a an arm that's you know not near not next to their body and you know, I mean, uh, was it... Oh, actually, that's something we even missed in the Galatasaray match in the wall when Babel handled the ball. Actually. Yeah, yeah, man. Oh. <laughs> pretty clear penalty, too. <laughs> we didn't even mention I don't that. Think, I don't think it's in inside the box. But I don't know if it was, actually. But I, no, but it's it, just 
outside of the box, just if, outside. But if it was outside the box, it's the only excuse for VAR not to intervene there because if I, I, you know, if it was, yeah. that was uh, crystal clear. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but this was a uh, Konya Spor opening their new se- their new se- season uh, in front of a decent crowd. But again, I think you know it's a decent crowd, but it's a forty plus k stadium. Konya can fill easily a 25k stadium, I think. But I just question those decisions of giving these clubs these massive stadiums. I think Konya Sport could have done well with a 25, 30k stadium. And the reason I'm talking about this is our next match is Gustepe. Because uh, I think Uzer shared a link earlier this week where there was talk of Gustepe's new stadium, which is going to be 20,000, which is relatively small. That's right, it's about 20,000, which you know they could fill double. Yeah. Capacity yeah, exactly. And that's the thing with Gustepe. Gustepe is one of those few clubs that actually have a decent fan base. They could actually probably consistently fill a 20k stadium. And apparently now they're thinking of expanding into 25. And I think that's actually rather perfect for Gustepe. 25-30k would be perfect for them. I think the same applies to a club as Konyaspor. A 25-30k stadium is perfect for them. When we see clubs like like a Bashakshir, I understand that they got a 17k stadium because, okay, they're going into Europe and stuff like that. And you need a certain amount of... Uh, a minimum amount of uh, seats, I believe, to be able to play group stage, uh, Champions League, Europa League, stuff like that. So I get that. But then there's other clubs like Antalya Spor who have, what is it, a 35k stadium that they they never fill. Um, and you have all these clubs that have these types of stadiums. And then Izmir, which is, which is the third biggest city in Turkey, doesn't get a proper stadium. And the same thing could be said about Ankara Gücü. And Genshterbali, of course, Genshterbali, like we said earlier, they have low attendances, but Ankara Gudjus are, are a club that can fill a 20k stadium easily. And the new stadium in Ankara is just 20k, I believe. It's another puzzling decision for me when you see all these other cities like Malatya get almost a 30k stadium, Konya getting a 40 plus k stadium. And, you know, I think Gazi here got the new stadium that's relatively big, even though they don't have massive crowds. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, but I, think, I totally agree with you. I, yeah. Unfortunately, it's. it's politics that's behind yeah. a lot of these decisions yeah anyway but, Gustepe are still playing in in another stadium sorry to cut you off there Pat uh, but so their turnout was a little lower here uh, but they their turnout will be bigger once the new stadium is filled but their attendance here was 8,575 and Gustepe lost 1-0 at home Diego Angelo getting the only goal here for Antalya Sport in the 29th minute and Pat please uh, finish your thought yeah, sorry. Just to go back to that point uh, regarding the stadiums. I mean, yeah, a lot of it's sort of to do with sort of politics or sort of uh, you know local local governments making the decisions rather than the clubs. But I think you know there's there's two points in terms of looking at why fans aren't going to matches when we know that the atmosphere in uh, Turkish stadium is incredible. Um, the population loves football. Um, it's Problem for me, it's a mix of one um, possibly sort of putting off fans, and you know, you're not just able to sort of get a ticket from the ticket booth, or maybe like over in some other countries, just being able to get things online. But you know, that extra step that you kind of have to do, I'm sure, has an impact on uh, especially in a newer generation. Uh, but also, to some extent, maybe the, the sort of the the drop in the fall of the lira and the, the general state of the to some extent the the economy, you know, higher uh, unemployment and all that, because, you know, ticket prices aren't cheap. If, if you look comparatively at um, how much, let's say, if one lira was one euro, for example, you'd be paying, you know, big money every single week 
um, to go to matches. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think to some extent that, that does put fans off when, um, when they have to choose between, you know, going to a match or, you know, spending that money on groceries or whatever. But um, because you know, as we all know very well, you know, that they love their football. Um, I just wonder, you know, there must be some hurdle, I guess, that uh, or hurdles that prevents football-loving population from ending up in the stadiums. And uh, the reason I picked this match as well to talk about this a little bit is because I don't really have any notes otherwise than the goal because so little happened in this game. Uh, Gustav are off on a bad start again, guys. Are they going to be in for another season like last year where they're going to narrowly be avoiding relegation? Or do you think Eren Derdiok uh, is going to start scoring some goals, Umut? Well, uh, both Gustav and Ant- Antaliaspor looked really poor on, uh, poor on creating chances. Gustav looked worse, and hence they lost the game, even though they had some talented players on the field for them, such as Sardar Güller, Andre Castro, Halak Bunar, and uh, should I call Yasin as a talented player? I don't know. <laughs> uh, however, neither of them find a gap for their talents, to show their talents. And Gustav's all attack looked so slow and random. Like, it looks like they haven't trained all over the summer. Uh, like, mm-hmm. they, they just got out on the field randomly, uh, so random. And until they defended all these, all these attacks with such ease, and after uh, scoring the goal, they just defended it pretty well. And I also watched uh, two ex Galatasaray players, uh, Yasin and Eren, Dardiok, uh, both were such disappointments for, the, uh, for their teams because while I was watching, I haven't even noticed Aaron was on the field uh, at the time. Yeah, you mentioned I, that. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just learned it. He was uh, playing, he played a whole 90 minutes at the game, and I haven't noticed uh, like he was a ghost on the field. I cannot fathom how Aaron Dardiok remained on the field for 90 minutes. Uh, what kind of ineffectiveness and Antalyaspor captain and everything Super League veteran Diego Angelo find the net from a corner kick uh, back post so Antalya won the game with ease okay let's move over to the next match the third shocker of this match day Malatyaspor trashing Basakshi here 3-0 I didn't really point out that the the, the Sivaspor Besiktas result was a shocker because to me it wasn't really I was expecting Besiktas to at least draw at the very least but I wasn't. I, I just didn't. I just didn't fathom a possibility for them to win because the team was such, you know, so incomplete. But here, Malatyaspor, I would call this a rather shocker because I did watch all of Malatyaspor's uh, games in Europe, and to me, they didn't really look ready yet. But then, of course, we also watched Bashakshir, and you could say the same thing about them. But this match was definitely decided by a big decision. But before we get to that, this match ended 3-0, as I pointed out. The attendance was 6,798. But the big decision in this match came in the 67th minute when Irfan Jankavici got ejected with a second yellow card. He got booked in the 60th minute uh, earlier, so seven minutes earlier, and then he got his second in, uh, in the 67th and got sent off. And almost instantly, Malatia struck through Guillerme, who came on as a substitute, putting them up 1-0 in the 68th minute, just a minute after that red card. Then Adis Jahovic, with a very neat goal in the 87th minute, puts Malatia Sport 2-0 up. And then Morike Fofana, in uh, the first minute of added time, puts the cherry on the cake for Malatia Sport, making it 3-0. And Bashakshir, yeah, another disappointment for, uh, for, for an away team. Galatasaray away, Besiktas away, Basakshir away, the top three of last season, all losing by two goals or more. 
what can we say about that guy? It's just, that, that has to be a, a huge surprise. I think if you put five euros on that before this match day, you're a billionaire now, right now. That's a great shot. That's a great shot. But it, it does it does it does highlight the added level of competitiveness in the league now. There are no no more any easy games. I mean, Galatasaray lost against a newly promoted side after all. So every game should be taken with utmost seriousness. Uh, um, oh, and by the way, the Yahovich goal was just so bizarre. I've never been, don't think I've ever seen a goal like it. He almost yeah. flicked it up onto himself and then headed in the and goal. And then headed it. It's, it was really it's, it's good. It's like he assisted himself kind of thing. I wonder what kind of football man, football fantasy points you'd get for that. <laughs> yeah. It was a really, really interesting and good goal, I think. What did you guys think about the yellow card? Uma, I'm going to throw to you first. Those two yellow cards for, for Irfan Jan. Yeah. Did you feel like they were correct? Yeah, yeah. As you mentioned before, uh, the... First yellow he got was uh, about uh, objection he did, uh, like yeah. a kind of an act uh, yeah. with hand gesture. Uh, to, he yeah, did he, directly he, to the referee and uh, he yeah. uh, wasted no time giving the yellow. He lost uh, the ball and I think he felt like he got fouled and he made yeah, yeah, like and a gesture. No, there's no foul uh, on the uh, position either. Like uh, He just uh, lost his balance and lost the ball mm-hmm. uh, after that. And it was just so correct. Uh, I have, I think these kind of acts should end uh, on the fields because like it just has no relation with the football. And I think last season I remember Ivan John had a lot of those positions where he was acting a little bit like that. I think he learned a little bit from Emre. Um, but he, I remember several oh. games last season where there were positions where you think, oh, maybe he should have, he could have gotten sent off, or maybe he should have sent off if he got in the yellow earlier and stuff like that. I think this is good for players like Irfan Jan because he's very talented. But yeah, I think yeah. they need also, to keep their attitude in check. You have to mention that he got sent off in a European game as well uh, in recent weeks. Yeah, against uh, Olympiacos. Yeah, right, yeah. In the and first leg. Similar uh, objection to the referee. But that was understandable, I think, because that referee was an absolute. C star and T. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, Pat, your take on the red card? Yeah, I think you know the first one. No surprise, you're going to get uh, a yellow card for that. If you're mouthing off to the ref, but again, it's just you know you, you have to be really careful when you're on a yellow. Uh, and he'd already seen what two uh, red cards in other games um, for Galatasaray and Genshelebili in the exact same manner. You know, not not a straight red, but Silly yeah. yellow, or um, mm-hmm. and then a deserved one, or vice versa, or you know, unjustified. Call it what you will, but you've got to be careful there. And he just—he didn't. He just—he carried on as if he was—he um, hadn't seen that first yellow card and paid the price. And so did his team at the end of the day. Let's move over to the the late game on uh, Saturday on Sunday. Sorry, Kasim Pasha hosting Trabzonspor. Trabzonspor, one of the. Top four of last season, one of the likely contenders for the title this season. All three other teams lost. You think Trabzon are gonna bag that win? Alexander Sorlot gets them off scoring in the 34th minute, puts them ahead. But just uh, six minutes later, Aitachkara scores with a half volley, which took a deflection on uh, Obi Mikkel. The attendance here was 4,900. By the way, I just want to point that out. I forgot it. Um, but a disappointing result for Trabzonspor. 
And uh, Urjan had a really good match. They could have easily lost this one. They could have also won it. I think uh, there was a very nice clip I saw of Alexander Serlot going past the goalkeeper and then puts it in, yeah. puts it next to the goal, and then uh, the, the 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 bando in the in the stands go, <laughs> which was great. Yeah. But uh, Alexa- Alexander Serlot scoring three goals in three games for his new employer gets off on a flying start. Could have maybe scored a second one here though. Um, what did you guys think of Trabzonspor? Are you are 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 you seeing them as a as a serious title contender this season? Yes, I think um, they're going to be up there for sure. Uh, maybe with a bit more stamina compared to last season when they well they, they, they did not too bad and then that game against Besiktas. But anyway, that's a different story. That's season one. People can obviously listen back to how they got on then. Anyway, <laughs> I think with the the news of the that Daniel Sturridge is also joining them, that could be a big big. Um, transfer for Trabzon Sport, especially if they want to be pushing not only sort of for the sort of top four European place, but also you know potentially for for the the Super League title itself. Because you know looking at the stats of that game, <clears throat> while they did have 18 shots in total, only two of those were on on target. But if you've got a you know experienced uh, striker as with uh, Daniel Sturridge in your team, you know it could be um, could be a big season for them. Yeah, and we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, but guys, any uh, is there any uh, things you want to point out from this match? Any thoughts? Nothing additional. I mean, the goalkeeper was really extraordinary. He must have saved about three or four, like hundred percent goals. I mean, he made some really world class saves there. Serloth again impressed three and three. Uh, shout out to Abdulkadir Umran as well for for his assist to Serloth, which was really really good. Um, also, Mikhail, because we talked about Mikhail when he signed for Trabzon in the previous episode. Um, it's a great signing for the club, but I don't think he had the best game at all. A lot of misplaced passes. Uh, he was involved in the deflection, which led to Kazan Pasha's goal as well. So I think he's he's not looking very sharp, but hopefully for Trabzonspor, he's able to kind of um, shake that off in the next few weeks. Yeah, and it's the same thing I heard about him from the Africa Cup, by the way, that he looked quite lethargic, didn't look very okay, sharp. Interesting. So I don't know, and I think where was he at? Where was he last season? Middlesbrough, right? And I seem to recall that they weren't too happy with him either there, so I don't yeah, know. I mean, maybe, maybe. They, maybe he, they because he's uh, still not very old. He's, what, 31, 32? Yeah, and, and you'd hope that a player like that, who's got a great career behind him, should be motivated by He's by, a Nigerian, by other, so he might be players. 38, you know. <laughs> it's just, that's just the way it is, you know, unfortunately. So we don't really know if that's his actual age. Uh, Umut, any, uh, any points you want to make before we get to the slobber knocker of Monday? Well, uh, after Yusuf Yazic's departure to Lille, we saw Abdul Kadir Emir being shifted to central attacking midfielder role, like a number ten, usually appeared as a winger uh, from the last season. While Yusuf Yazic handled the center, it should be the indication of how you know Karaman will use him for the rest of the season as well, like trying to create a maestro from him. And at the right flank, it was given to Yusuf Sari, a newcomer uh, from. France born uh, uh, 20-year-old uh, young lad came from Marseille as I uh, suppose uh, but it didn't make a solid appearance for the Marseille club at the time being there he's also left-footed just like Abdul Kadir Emir uh, and he seemed a bit, a bit nervous playing his first game for Trabzonspor but he will get over it, I think uh, and also I really liked Alexander Charlotte uh, and who you might as well familiar from K.A. Ghent, 
uh, from his yeah. time being there. D didn't make too much of an impression at Ghent. I think he scored on his debut, had a good start, but then he kind of faded away. But uh, you can see that he's a, he's a decent player, good technique, uh, decent pace, good body. Um, yeah, and he's, he's he's getting into the scoring position. So I think you that know, the Trubs and Spore are going to enjoy him this season. You know, uh, I really resemble his play style to Olivier Giroud, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, quite like it. And he doesn't deliver... Uh, uh, from his career stats, I think uh, deliver much of a goal scorer. Like a haven't scored twenty plus goals but in a season, like, but he but delivers like some assists. or something, right? How, yeah, yeah, how old is he? Yeah, so. yeah, uh, he delivers some kind of uh, assists uh, yeah. to balance that out. So a good center forward. Yeah, yeah, great team player, and also I really admire how they managed to transfer Daniel Sturridge from Liverpool. Yeah. It's a great deal, and. I think uh, he will play as a right winger or he could be paired up with Soros. Yeah, that's what, what I was wondering. Where is he going to slot into that team? Yeah. Um, but let's let's talk about the details of that de deal a little bit later. I want to get okay. to the Fenerbahce match on Monday okay. first. So the last match to close off the, uh, the, the week one, match day one, Fenerbahce against uh, newly promoted Ghazi Shahir, their Super League debut, of course, we all know they're kind of replacing Gaziantep Spore, but officially it's their Super League debut. And Fenerbahce trashing Gazi Shehir at Kadikoy in front of 36,056 fans, so decently full, uh, two-thirds full Kadikoy. And the, the special thing here was <laughs> three penalties in 23 minutes. Um, Victor Moses getting the first one in the sixth minute. I think that's the most controversial one. That's uh, the penalty on Emre. Uh, Moses converting that in the sixth minute. Then Fenerbahce got another penalty in the 13th minute. That one, I think, was rather clear. Uh, but Victor Moses misses that one, or rather Gunai Guvenc saves it. Uh, he went the opposite corner as he went the previous one, and Gunai picked that corner and saved. It was not a bad penalty, I think, but just telegraphed. Uh, and then again, uh, then no, then Veda Muric scores an absolute screamer, controls it, I believe, with his chest, and then volleys it in from the edge of the box. And that and Melniak's goal, contender for goal of the week, no doubt, in my opinion. I don't know which one of the two was better. I would say this one. Probably, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit leaning towards this one. But then in the 23rd minute, another penalty uh, called for uh, Fenerbahce. This time Emre steps up because, of course, um, Victor Moses missed the first one. Uh, and, Pen and Emre, of course, coolly puts that in. 3-0 at halftime. Then in the 74th minute, Nabil Dirar gets on the score sheet. Uh, that one was initially disallowed for offside, but far overturned it. The goal was awarded. And then Ferdi Cadiolo on his official debut in the Super League for Fenerbahce, scoring in the 88th minute. A good, neat little finish by the 19-year-old Dutch Turk. Um, and the full-time scoreline reads 5-0 for Fenerbahce. Besiktas, Galatasaray, Trabzonspor and Başakşehir all drop points. All but Trabzonspor lose on the opening match. They Fenerbahce, who were bottom of the table for so long last season, or at least among the bottom three, now start off their 2019-2020 campaign with an emphatic win, something that could give them wings. Um, but I think the big talking point here 
is the are the penalties, but should it really be? Because I think Fenerbahce played a really good game. I think Gazici here were poor, but Fener were really good and very hungry to attack, very hungry to score. Uh, obviously, I think those really quick succession goals took Gazishir out of the match. I don't think we really got to see the full potential of Gazishir here yet because they do have an interesting squad. But, you know, being down 3-0 after 23 minutes, you know, heads are going to hang. Confidence is going to sink into their boots and, and that match was over. And you know that was going to be a one-man show, so to speak, in the sense that Fenerbahce is that one man. Uh, but let's talk about those penalties first, especially the first one. Pat, Pat uh, did you think that was a correct call by the referee, that first penalty? I think so, yeah. I mean, I'm never one to kind of go gung-ho and be like, oh, it must be a penalty. You know, I looked at the videos and uh, the replays and it, it did look, I mean, it did look like a penalty to me, I think. Okay, Umut, you were, I think, in agreement with me. You were a little hesitant about that first one. Did you think that was a penalty after reviewing it? Well... I didn't see any kind of clear contact, but uh, the players are moving, uh, yeah, and I think it was Cruze. Uh, yeah, Cruze or Emra. I think Emra played it in, and Cruze was the one. Yeah, yeah Cruze is the one who is like uh, rotating around himself. Like so, uh, any kind of a slight contact uh, could be taken, but I think it's a pretty cheap penalty. Okay, Uzer, what do you think about that first penalty call? Uh, agreed with the description of it being a cheap one. But, you know, generally, in the game finishes 5-0, you don't, we don't want to focus too much on that. Although the first, there were three penalties in, what, 24 minutes? Um, yeah. But I think, I mean, two of the three were, were pretty... Yeah, I think the second one you really can't argue. Uh, the third one, yeah. yeah, the third one I felt was harsh because I don't even I I find it very difficult to see the contact with the hand if there's an actual contact, but the hand should not be there. So I get it. If there is contact, that's of course a penalty. But I don't know. It felt a little harsh too because that cross didn't really deflect. So I didn't see a clear deviation of the ball in the replays or anything like that. So I don't even know if it definitively touched his hand. But the second one was very clear, I think. Uh, the third one, if it touches his hand, that's a clear penalty. The first one for me, I'm, I'm kind of the same. I, I didn't really see contact there. But I have to say, I felt the same way about the Galtzray penalty. I didn't see any contact there either until I got like a proper uh, phrase frame of where you could see that the defender actually stepped on Diagne's foot. So sometimes it's just very difficult. Um, and I, I can only assume that whoever's in the VAR room checked that Cruze penalty and noticed that there was contact. Otherwise, I, I assume they would have interjected there. But like I said, I don't really think that that, that makes such big of a difference because Fenerbahce were really relentless in that opening 30 minutes. Uh, I think they would have scored within 10 minutes either way, whether they got that penalty or not. Fenerbahce were impressive going forward. They weren't really tested at the back, which is their main weakness, of what we saw in the training camp. I, I think that was already clear that going forward, Fenerbahce were going to be good this season. I think we could see that as well during the preseason. But with I, this, I this think, win... I think they could... Um, sorry, to, sorry to hijack you there. I think Go they ahead. could surprise a lot of people, including themselves this season even the way they mm -hmm. played against uh, Gaziantep. I know they're a newly promoted side and everything, yeah. but they play some really fancy football. Again, Emre uh, uh, is a true one of a kind, was involved in every single goal apart from yeah. him, um, yeah. and is just a, a true example of, of, what a, of what an athlete and what a sportsman should be in physical terms at, at his age. He's just amazing, absolutely amazing player. 
Yeah, with Max Cruiser, they have a, a great quality player too, who's been there since the beginning of the preseason. Has been t has had time to settle, has settled, has been playing well in those preseason matches too. He's always been one of the better players, even when they got uh, trashed by what was it, Byron? Uh, was it six one? But even there, he was one of the better men on the pitch. I felt, and he's had time to settle. He's a, he's a great quality player. Vedat Muric has been tremendous too during the preseason, carries that on into this season, was tremendous last season, really a great get for Fenerbahce, I think. Again, I don't, I really don't think they need a, a first striker. I think they could use a reserve striker maybe, but I think Muric is their def default first striker. Pat, would you agree with that? Are you happy with Vedat Muric as a Fenerbahce's first striker? Uh, definitely, yeah. yeah. I think um, you know, he showed his quality with that, that goal that he scored, that obviously powered it in to the back of the net. Uh, I think just, you know, in terms of depth, that's where the Fenerbahce fans are kind of still, we still just need that second striker because, you know, anything can happen. It could be, you know, a red card or a, a ban after yet another um, Super Derby punch-up or whatever, or it could just be, you know, losing form. But I think we we do need that second striker to, to back up. But, you know, like you said, Max Cruz is also a fantastic striker to have that. I guess number 10 that um, we haven't really had since the, the days of Alex, really. But do you really need that with Max Cruiser now? I don't, I don't really think you need that. I, I think, honestly, depth is so important in football. Um, and I think, you know, Fairly? obviously last... Uh, well, yeah, it might be a good opportunity to, to sort of test him. But I think just to have that, you know, person in between, just so that you're not kind of completely relying on someone. who Obviously, you know, he scored and it was a good goal. Uh, and he's got quality, but, um, you know, just to have a bit more of a, I guess, a, a rotation, to be honest, because otherwise, you know, all it takes is two injuries to two key players. And, uh, you know, then yeah, just look got, at Besiktas. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, you know, and then, like you say, um, the defence where, you know, we, we'll see if, if any more transfers come in. But, uh, you know, all it would take is um, a hit to our... To offense for our defense to suddenly sort of yeah. be put under more pressure. Yeah, and, and we didn't really see the defense get tested here, so we really didn't really see Fenerbahce get put to the test here. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, winning like this 5 0, it's going to give them a lot of confidence heading into next week's fixture against Bashakshir. They have a difficult opening three weeks, Bashakshir away next week, and then Trabzonspor at home the week after. So, you know, they're top of the table now, obviously, biggest win of the of the match day. But that could all change within a week or sure. within two weeks' time. So it's going to be very... We're going to know a lot, I think, about this Fenerbahce, how far ahead they are already. If they come through these first three weeks with six or with seven points, say, seven or nine points. I think if they come through these first three weeks with nine points, I think we've got a major contender on our hands. And Fenerbahce look great. Uh, and you know what? Three penalties. Uh, obviously, Twitter was going crazy. And, oh, this theater is already starting last year. It was Galtz. Right now, it's Fenerbahce. But if you look at the match, I don't think you can discredit this win. Fenerbahce were so much better than Ghazi Shahir. And obviously, when you're not actually watching the match and you see that penalty after six minutes, penalty after 30 minutes, penalty after 23 minutes, and you're like, okay, what's going on here? Yeah. Like I said, that second one was clear. The third one, if it does make contact with the hand, it's a clear penalty. That first one is a little bit, that's that could be contested, but again, that's not a clear freebie either. So I think it's a, it's a logical win for Fenerbahce. Guys, anything to add here or can we move over to the transfer segment before Uzer has to head off? Well, can I add some 
small things uh, about Gary Rodriguez, how I uh, expected him to be, but uh, he really uh, didn't uh, turn out really well because after his journey to Saudi Arabia and he came, I think he lost a bit of his speed, which he had uh, two years ago. And a player with his style needs uh, some other things to his game if his uh, physical state is in a decline to prevent himself from going down in his career. Like a quick quick example would be like a Volkan Shan uh, and how he got lost after his decline and he haven't added anything to his game after aging. And a uh, quick add could be uh, Denis Turic. He came in at 17 minutes and played decent actually because I think what Gary lacks uh, Trich has it, and what uh, Trich lacks, Gary has it as well. Like they are like opposites of the uh, play styles, like uh, in terms of speed and technical ability-wise, which actually makes a good uh, thing about Fenerbahce's rotation system, uh, uh, having this kind of variety of players in the bench uh, in a big marathon. Uh, of a season and also after watching the Fenerbahce game I think Galatasaray's game could go the same way as Fenerbahce's game did if Celtic scored the first penalty at the earlier stage of the game. Uh, so let's uh, quickly head over to the transfer talk then for, for uh, our final segment of this episode. So last week we had, did a transfer episode and we were talking about Galatasaray's desperate need for a number six and as we finished recording wouldn't you know it Steven and Zonzi to Galtzrai was basically confirmed, and then the day after, I believe it was already made official, and Galtzrai have loaned Steven and Zondi from AS Roma on a free free loan. Uh, they just have to pay his wages, 3.25 million, and they have the option to extend that loan for uh, for 500,000 euros for a second season. And of course, they'll have to pay his wages again. If they opt to buy Nzonzi at the end of his first season at Galtzrai, they will have to pay 16 million euros. If they opt to buy him at the end of his second season, they will have to pay 13 million euros. Whether Galtzrai will make that a permanent move or not, I think on paper at least, an absolutely fantastic move. He was a beast at Sevilla. He's an upgrade over an aging Fernando, I'd say. 29 years old, World Cup winner with France. So, Umut, your thoughts on uh, the Enzonzi transfer? Well, uh, Enzonzi, we all know him from uh, Roma and Sevilla. Uh, we always known him by his big physique and tough play defensively. And after Fernando's departure to Sevilla, that position needed to be filled urgently and is a bit too late since we missed the first game of the season which costed us three points already and how important we'll see at the end of the season. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we needed a guy to fill the number six physically because Seri is a, such a small guy and couldn't actually fill there himself and as well uh, aerial threats uh, coming is an important issue, it's a defensive part of the game. And I think Enzozi is the man to fill that gap uh, we are needing right now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, 1 meter 96, an absolute intimidating physical specimen, I think is going to dominate our league. Yeah, I also, a uh, smaller note is uh, he break uh, he broken a record like uh, being the tallest guy ever to play for Galatasaray. Field player, I believe. Outfield player, I guess. I think amongst goalkeepers as well. I think you had a goalkeeper that was like 2 meter and 2, no? I don't know. 
Ismael Chipe, wasn't he like two meter two? No, or no, no. Ismael Chipe, Ismael Chipe, and Erai are both uh, one ninety five. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, I think this is a great move on paper. At least, of course, we'll have to wait and see how it turns out. But I, I, I can't really see this not turn out great because he's. I think for our league, he's just such a great player at a great age still. Obviously, at at Roma, he didn't really um, fulfill what they expected of him. They paid almost 30 million euros for him just last summer and they're already letting him go basically for free now just to get him off the wage bill. Apparently they they bullied him out of the club almost, but I mean, not succeeding at Roma does not mean that you're not a great player. I mean, he was great at Sevilla. I think this is a great coup for Galtzrai. Obviously it's a high wage, but it's not not that bad. 3.25 million, that's I mean, that's not six or seven or so. <laughs> um, then, of course, Pat, do you have anything to add on the Nzonzi deal? Or, or, or are you the, just like me, envious about it? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I'm in your your side in terms of just wishing that uh, Fenerbahce got to him first. Because I think he's, you know, he's, for no fee whatsoever to the club. Is, and, you know, relatively okay, which is like you say, if you compare it to, to some other Super League players, you know... A great buy, basically, um, and for very little money, being able to extend that for another year as well. Obviously, you know, we'll see what happens with them in Europe, um, and then at the end of the season as well. But uh, you know, if they hopefully not, but if they if they win the league and get Champions League football next year, that means you know they could uh, keep him for basically you know a small portion of the the fees there. So really good signing, annoyingly. Yeah, and uh, it's a shame that uh, that that Uzer had to shoot off now, of course, but he only had that one-hour window, unfortunately. But fortunately enough, there's no news yet on Radamel Falcao. Imagine Falcao came and Uzer, his biggest cheerleader, wasn't here to uh, to celebrate that. But Radamel Falcao still up in the air. Um, it it changes every day. Uh, today the news is again that the, the Monaco president said he still has a year contract and he has to respect that. Uh, there was a quote earlier from uh, the, their new signing, Ben Yedder, where he said that he's really happy that Falcao decided to stay. So I don't know what's going on. Uh, Umut, what's the latest from from the Galatasaray media, so to speak? Are they still adamant that he's coming or are they slowly but surely starting to lose hope? Well... I've seen uh, their transfer photo where Islam Suleimani, Islam Suleimani was involved as well. So I think they already filled their gap after uh, hoping Falcao's departure. And as well, uh, in Twitter, uh, tonight at 19.05, there will be a cup uh, announcement. But unfortunately, it didn't happen uh, as we all expected. But disappointed after it i hope he'll come but i don't think it's healthy to like just hoping yourself hoping for a man to come for a whole month like and don't thinking any alternatives uh, if he doesn't decide if he doesn't decide to come it's a yeah, it's a it's a, it's a strange situation, of course. On in, on paper, Galtzray have last season's top scorer with Mbappé Diagne, so they should be fine. But in reality, we all know that Diagne is kind of not didn't really live up to the expectations, and and I yeah. But it's a difficult situation because Galtzray are under financial fair play. They they still have to sell regardless to even clear their. We already discussed this last week. So Falcao, they were hoping would be 
a free transfer, so an easy fix, short term, a really good high profile striker for free on a high wage, okay, but they were hoping for that, but that that I don't think that's gonna happen. Monaco are not gonna let him go for free. I said that last time. I stand by that. I I don't even think their position has changed at all. I think they've gone even more firm in that position. So I don't think Galtzray will be getting him for free. So uh, that jeopardizes the move, I believe. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. But there is one really big move in the Super League that happened, and we already spoke about it earlier. Daniel Sturridge has officially been confirmed as Trabzonspor's new signing. They signed him on a free transfer. They paid him a 2 million euro signing on bonus. That's a hefty sum. But his 2 plus 1 year contract, he will earn only 1.5 million a year. It's not a lot. If you look at, you know, what his... Uh, peers are earning in the same in, in the Super League, I would say. You know, players from a similar stature. Obviously, Daniel Sturridge has a long wash list of injuries, but if he can stay fit, he could be of great value for Trabzonspor. Personally, I wouldn't have wanted to sign him at Besiktas because of that injury track record, and I would have assumed that he would have been earning a lot of money. But really, at this at this at, at these numbers, I think it's a small risk. Honestly, 1.5 million a year. Okay, you're out 2 million in terms of the signing fee, but still, he's only 29 years old. Pat, would you have taken the gamble uh, if you were in charge of Fenerbahce? Oof. I mean, I don't know what the, the financial state of uh, Travis's sport is. Obviously, that plays sort of a, a major factor. If it would be in Fenerbahce, for example, and you know, to some extent, we've we've covered that position. But I think for Travis on sport, you know, just not just for the player himself, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a goal scorer and he's proved that throughout his career. Um, but I think also just just to also boost the, the Trabzonspor name to some extent, I think that's going to play an issue. Um, I'm sure we all remember that they had quite a successful um, social media campaign with their uh, shirt announcement that got shared by the likes of Piquet and Barcelona, um, which was seen by what, millions of people uh, just on Twitter alone. And there was also kind of with the the storage dance, if you can call it that, where Trabzon fans were suddenly you know, doing their little shuffle to, to encourage him to come. Um, I don't think we quite saw a, a Darius Vesel-esque uh, arrival into Trabzon from him. But I think, you know, just uh, to get a, a name that's quite well known um, in the UK and across Europe, you know, banging in the goals in a league that's it's, it's well respected and um like you say, playing Fenerbahce in uh, two weeks' time, that's all, uh, to some extent, a mini derby in itself with the two teams there. But, um, you know, big games sort of coming up. And um, you know, I think for for profile, having that also as, as the more junior members of the team, having sort of a, you know, a quite experienced player in the squad will be a, a bonus for, for drugs and sports. So I'd say, you know, regardless of what happens, regardless of how much you might be, missing down the line because of injuries i think good purchase and while you were talking you know what I, I basically talked myself into it for these numbers i would have i would have taken the gamble too at bishiktesh i think you know one and a half million a year basically two and a half if he stays for two years that is still not that much i mean okay you ha- you run the risk that he's gonna miss so many games out injured but you also have that 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 chance that if he stays fit and manages to play 25 out of 34 games or 27 or whatever, he could bang in 25. 
He's exactly, a really, yeah. he really good player. Umut, would you have taken the gamble at Galatasaray? Maybe you don't need him at Galatasaray, but what what do you say? Do you do you, do you understand that Trabzon take are taking this, in my opinion, relatively low risk? Because yeah, yeah, because uh, they already have a, like a target man esque player, Sorlon, mm-hmm. a tall yeah. guy, very tall guy. So they needed a poacher kind of player to like balance the striker rotation out. So I think. It could be a good gamble on Trabzon's part because uh, these monies uh, are nothing compared to what he earned earlier uh, in Premier League. And it's never easy to take an Englishman outside of Premier League because he has t- too many choices. Like he may go to Championship or he may go to a lower side of Premier League division like a, a club like Newcastle or something, West Bromwich Albion or something. He has too many options, and he even played in West Bromwich earlier on in recent years. So it's a big move uh, coming. Do you do you think that him putting off a move maybe until after the the transfer window in England closed put him in a disadvantage? Because I'm I'm, I'm quite surprised that he took this deal because I can't imagine that he couldn't get that yeah, elsewhere. Yeah, I England. think yeah, I think he like balanced out uh, his options so he didn't think he'll find a place in Liverpool this season because the because of the quality Liverpool has right now uh, and also the injuries which let him down uh, in the recent years so I think he might have thought if I play constantly I will find myself again after some time mm-hmm. yeah yes yeah, definitely true Anyway, uh, we have one more big transfer news that came, that was confirmed um, just before we start recording. George Kevin Nukudu from Tottenham Hotspur will join Besiktas, and not on a loan or anything, on a permanent move. And Besiktas are paying five million euros for the 24-year-old winger, left winger, uh, French left winger, and. I am absolutely baffled, astounded, and puzzled by this move. I, I don't get it. It's a lot of money, $5 million. That's a lot of money for Besiktas. Besiktas are not a club that easily spend more than $4 million on a single player. That, that rarely happens. Like Dembaba, Adem Ljajic. Uh, that's the only ones in recent years. Well, we, we spent 4.5 or something on Lens too, which was a, a huge, you know, disaster. Uh, in, in hindsight but we don't Bishes are not a club that spend the high transfer fees and, and 5 million is starting I know for Galatasaray fans they're like oh 5 million what's that but for Besiktas that's a that's a fee that doesn't usually leave the, the pocketbook really easily so I'm really baffled by that not so much because they paid it for an important uh, position but because they paid it on a player that in the last 3 years has paid has played less than 2,000 minutes in all competitions. Or last four years, sorry. So I I, 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 I find it absolutely astounding. I don't understand it. Um, yeah, I have very little hope for this to turn out well because the deal is structured in such a way uh, that, it, that it almost can't be a win situation, even if he does really well, because apparently Besiktas are paying... 5 million euros to Tottenham. On top of that, they're giving 50% of his next sale as well. 
Now, I am assuming, because this is usually how deals are structured, that that 50% is on the profit of next sale. So that means if Bishtesh sell them for 6 million, that's 1 million profit. So 500,000 would go to to Tottenham. So they basically then, uh, yeah, Bishtesh earn 500,000 on him, basically, if that would be the case. So even if he does really well, I don't know if Bishtesh can ever sell him at a, at, at a high enough fee for it to be really worth it in terms of uh, profit. And, you know, when when we factor in at 50%. And then his contract, okay, four years at 1.65 million up to 2 million with bonuses. That's okay in theory for for a player that's hopefully going to start every match. But it's just a huge question mark for me because he has played so little. And um, yeah, I mean, he got just absolutely no chances at Tottenham. Uh, played really briefly at Burnley on loan, played only like six games there, went to Monaco in the second half of the season last season, um, but uh, unfortunately for him, he got a, a hamstring injury and that took him out for nearly three months, so he missed almost the entire second half of the season last season. So, I don't know. Guys, can you make sense of this move, Pat? Um, I don't know if it was you or it's another Besiktas fan, but I did see them sort of speaking about the lack of um, wingers, I believe, uh, quality winners at Besiktas. So, you know, oh yeah, for sure, Besiktas desperately needed a left winger. I'm not arguing that. That was the mo- that I think a six is important to get to, but that the left winger was the most important position to fill. So that's not the issue. The issue yeah. is just the player and the money spent on him. Is this a player that's worth five million euros for Besiktas? given the fact that he's barely played ever since leaving France? I guess so, yeah. But, you know, like I said, um, the profile of both Besiktas and the Super League, I think, is is high enough that it's it's a good stage for a player of his age to potentially see it as, as an opportunity to, you know, to move on to some extent. And, yeah, I guess that that's 50%. It's, it's a high number in terms of how much they'll get back and, therefore, how much they'd have to sell him to make money off of him to some extent, uh, especially with financial fair play sort of uh, breathing down everyone's necks. But you know, it could be the it could be the opportunity that you know a young, potentially talented player, if he was signed for the likes of Tottenham, uh, to at least reach some of his potential in a league where you know you've got people watching from a, across the world, keeping tabs on, being able to you know watch highlights like we do. So you know, again, it's could be a risk but i think it it might be the the opportunity that he needs to to make a name for himself and in a you know a very respectable team and a, with a great fan base like Besiktas. and what, what do you think can you make sense of this move from from Besiktas's perspective i, I would say like not so much from him I, I get that he wants to jump on the chance to to go to a, a club where he can play and where he can hopefully rekindle his career but from Besiktas' perspective, a player that's completely sidetracked at Tottenham, has absolutely no uh, chance of playing there, he's basically dead weight for them. They they should be begging someone to take him off their wage bill, and Besiktas are still paying 5 million euros for the guy. Do you get that? <laughs> well, uh, if you want to make a logic, you are buying a player from Premier League, and... Uh, considering the weight of that league, uh, yeah, but not a proven player. He's yeah, yeah, I know he's not league. the main man and he's not the starter 
you know, he's not even a res- he's not even a regular reserve. He barely ever comes on as a sub. Even. Yes, it's... I think it's because of the age he's in. Like he, he, you can't count him as a youngster. So I think he's that money is because of the potential he possesses right now. Okay, well, let me throw this out to you, guys. If you had the choice between this five million euro question mark or let's say Yevhen Konoplyanka for three million on a two or tr- on a two plus one or a three year contract, would you go for this guy for five million or Konoplyanka for three three and a half million? Who is twenty nine, almost thirty years old? Pat, what what would you pick, Konoplyanka or this guy or mm. uh, George Kevin Nukudu? I mean, to be honest, I would have gone for Konoplyanka, to be honest. I think if, if I was playing it safe, mm-hmm. I'd be getting more sort of uh, value for money um, with Konoplyanka than I would do with um, the guy from Tottenham. Yeah. And what do you think, uh, Umut, who would you have opted for, Konoplyanka or someone else, but more proven? Well, uh Taking Konoplyanka, you'll know what to expect, and you, yeah, I think you have the accurate team for Konoplyanka to play as well. Uh, he will be a good player in a rotation system, but Enkudu, I think his name is pronounced that way. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, yeah, so it's a gamble, you know. He could be good or he could be really bad. It's a really big big gamble yeah. but I yeah, think exactly. I mean storage is a gamble but it's a small gamble I, I think, think for the money I, involved I think Abdullah wanted it to be this way to like take the average of the age in the team uh, in a lower form mm-hmm. yeah it's a, I mean yeah I can I can get it from that perspective but I think there's players at that age 24 25 26 you can get players for 5 million that's have played a lot more in the past couple of years. Maybe not a player from the Premier League, but maybe someone in Ligue 1, maybe somewhere in, in Holland, maybe, I don't know. You know, there's plenty of places. At the end of the day, apart from this, I think Besiktas have had a really good transfer window in terms of the players they've gotten. I think Tyler Boyd was a spot-on signing. Victor Ruiz was a good signing in terms of profile. Obviously, we still have to wait and see if he turns out well, but his first match was very promising. Pedro Rebocho, we haven't seen him yet, but that profile fits. I think Bishitas have made a lot of good moves in terms of finding players that will fit the football Abdullah Avci wants to play. So in that regard, I can only assume that they did the same here with Nakudu. The only question I have is how did they really form his profile when he hasn't properly played? I mean, are they going back and watching him at Nantes? Are they going back and watching his matches at Olympique Marseille? I, I honestly don't know. Um, it's a player that Tottenham played 11 million euros for. Now, if they would have played 20 or 25 or 30 million euros, then I would understand this deal. But there's a player they paid 11 million for. He's clearly not in their future plans. It, it, I don't know. 5 million just seems very, very, very steep, uh, despite the fact that he's only 24. But yeah. I don't know. I hope he proves me wrong. I really, really hope he proves me wrong because I, I know I'm being extremely pessimistic here, and I, I very I, this is this is the most pessimistic I think I've ever been in my entire life 
on on a relatively big transfer because this is a big fee like i said for bishtes yeah this is without a doubt the most pessimistic i've ever been about a transfer uh, with a with a decent fee involved but i don't know uh, i hope he proves me wrong and i hope he uh, has a has a henry onyokuro effect which i saw some people say yo maybe he'll turn out to be bishtes henry onyokuro to those people i say guys look at henry onyokuro's track record look at what he did in belgium look at what he already did in his career you cannot compare the two that's that's silly anyway that's it for me for transfer notes. I don't know if you guys have anything else left to talk about because we didn't speak about anything regarding Fenerbahce because there doesn't seem to be anything big. Pat, is there something you still want to throw in here or uh, are we done for the night? Yeah, I think obviously we've got just some for Fenerbahce, um, some tougher games coming up. Obviously, Garcia uh, um, was a relatively, Garcia was relatively easy start for us compared to the other big clubs um, but you know we, we're facing Bashakshir here away uh, I say away with uh, quotation marks because obviously you know what Bashakshir like um, who did lose 3-0 to a you know, relatively good Malatya school side but we'll see what happens there and then again um, home to Traps on Spore um, so yeah you know it could be that we end up with just the three points after three games. It could be we end up with nine. I think it'd be interesting to see. However, like I just did mention earlier, I think we, we just do need a, a sort of backup striker just to be the sort of in-between uh, of uh, Marich and um, Ferdi. Because I, I think you're just putting too much press, pressure in that case on both of them. Um, yeah, Ferdi is obviously a, a number 10 when I said that. I thought you meant you needed another number 10. Yeah, I think there'd just be sort of too much pressure on. So, you know, the, the likes of, um, who do we used to have? Super Sub Semi, I think it was back in the day, um, who just kind of, you know, he'd just be here on the bench all the time, but he, he yeah. delivered He delivered when we needed him. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm definitely uh, on of the opinion that Fenerbahce can still use a, a second striker, but I think we can say that Muric is a... Is a is worthy of that first pot, and I think he deserves this season too. Either, yeah. you know, yeah, I think he deserves this season to 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 show whether he's worthy of that place or not. But early on, the signs early on definitely indicate that he's worthy of it. Uh, Umut, anything left to add for uh, this uh, first episode of season two of Football Ala Turca, or rather the 2019-20 uh, Super League season? I think all spoken. Uh, nothing, anything specific to add. Okay, then I'm still going to run down quickly the fixtures for match day two. So, uh, the fixtures for match day two. On Friday, Besiktas are already hosting Gustepe, so they'll have the chance to rebound. Then on Saturday, Ankara Guju hosts Istikbal Mobilia Kayseri Spor. Alanya Spor will host Kasim Pasha. Bashakshihir host Fenerbahce. And then on Sunday, Trabzon Spor host Yeni Malatya Spor. Galtzrai host Konya Spor. Antalya Spor host Yucatel Denizli Sport. And then on the final match on Ma- on Monday, Ghazi Shehir will have a chance to scratch that zero from their record against, against Terbli, who have that same opportunity. So two newly promoted sides on uh, Monday against each other. That's for match day two. Well, that'll do it uh, for this week of Football Ala Turca, the first episode of the second season of our uh, show. So I want to thank you very much for listening, Turkaholics. Pat, thank you for joining me. Umut, thank you for joining me. 
Uzar, of course, thanks for joining, uh, even though he's already been off for the last 20 minutes or so. And, of course, Burak, uh, he will be back soon. He will be back next week. So, uh, guys, thank you. And to you, goodbye and good night. And have a great week. Thanks, Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Take care.